proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr. I am your host, as well as the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan. This week, we're a little late getting our podcast to you, as we are at Camp Odeokwa in Butler, Ohio. We do a week-long family camp, and we are joined by a few other confessional churches, one of which is led by my dear friend Jerry Kreutz. We went to Clearwater Christian College together. Jerry is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Holland, Ohio. Jerry, how you doing? Doing good, Aaron, and I'm looking forward to this interview, but also just very thankful for the week uh, that we have together on, on a yearly basis, uh, partnering together to do youth camp. So it's, once again, just kind of the highlight of a year for us. It's a great time to get together, watch our churches bond, and uh, we try to make sure that we're centering everything, obviously, around Christ, and mm -hmm. we spend time in the catechisms and confessions, and I'm always blessed to see how much the kids take away from this week. Um, has there been anything special that you would say has really hit you this week? Uh, I think just watching our kids, it's been really interesting because we've, we've studied Hebrews for the last year, year and a half in our church, and so this was not anything new for them. But uh, as you know, uh, so often, even when you're studying it, you go back over something, you realize there's so much more there than what uh, you saw initially. And watching our young people uh, just because they're in close quarters all week long and taking these things in and different, hearing different voices, it's just neat to see. I think it's had far more impact on them this week than it probably has you know, in the year, year and a half in our church. So uh, it's just been exciting to see them drawing near to Christ just as Hebrews uh, exhorts us to do. One of the fun parts of this week for me was when we talked with the youth about Jesus being greater than the Old Covenant and talking about the blessing of the Old Covenant, that God would condescend mm -hmm. down to speak to the creation He had made and have relationship with it. But of course, in that Old Covenant, as the Westminster tells us, man uh, broke that covenant. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, that covenant of works or life, depending on how you coin that, uh, that covenant. But then the New Covenant being so much better and sweeter as Christ is the fulfillment through His death on the cross and all the blessings that come. It was just a great week seeing so many of the kids uh, cherish uh, the truth of Jesus and how He is greater than everything. And so I've been blessed. But Jerry, I want to kind of direct our conversation now to your story and the story of your church. Specifically, why don't we just give a little background of your own walk with Christ, how you came to know Christ, and specifically got engaged in Reformed theology? Well, my conversion story uh, is a little different than many of the ones that, you know, we met at Clearwater Christian College, and a good portion of the, the guys there uh, had grown up in Christian homes and um, came to college and kind of knowing where they where they were and what, what they were headed for. and. Uh, I got saved at 16, uh, only two years before I came to Clearwater, and that's where we met. And so uh, just 
everything was so new to me at that point. And, uh, you know, I always tell my friends now that when we talk about you and your church, that you were the Calvinist guy on campus. You were always the guy that was debating with everybody, staying up late and making their lives miserable. Um, Way to make but, me the bad guy. <laughs> but I was in the gym shooting hoops and, you know, uh, really didn't know what we were even talking about up in those, up in those dorms. But um, it, I just was, it was so fresh to me. I got saved at 16 and really one of those unique things where you know, most people, it kind of, it takes time. They hear the gospel numerous times and they come to Christ. For me, as far as I know, it was the very first time I'd ever heard the gospel that doesn't mean that it hadn't been proclaimed before and my eyes hadn't been opened, but as far as I can recall that evening, and, I, and it, was, it was Mark Price, a basketball player for the Cleveland Cavaliers, who just won the championship, in case you weren't aware of that. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, Mark Price was my hero, which really tells you that sports was my thing. I mean, that was, that was my God even at that point. And I went to hear him. My mom, who was a Christian, uh, had had invited me to go and and you know she knew that I was so into sports that I probably wouldn't turn that down and she was praying that God would do something that night and uh, for the first time heard uh, who Christ is and my need for the for for a savior and came to Christ in a dramatic way where I can really look back at almost two volumes in my life that up until that point you know was totally going in one direction and then uh, immediately a, a whole other direction in, in following Christ. And so um, then off to, off to college, and, and when it comes to Reformed theology, like I said, uh, really those were things that I wasn't even considering at that point. But, but you know that at Clearwater there was a lot of Reformed influence, and uh, I can now see that God had his hand in that and was already planting seeds to help me to, to when those things really came uh, before me, I think I was already kind of prepared to receive them in a better, I was in a better position to receive them than I was certainly at 16 or 18. But Jerry, in your own personal walk with the Lord, you've had some, some pretty big trials. One is the loss of your brother. And would you share a little of that and how the sovereignty of God has played a, a resting place for you in that? Yeah, definitely uh, losing my brother. That was in 1998. I was a youth pastor. Uh, and probably at that point still hadn't really wrestled a whole lot with uh, the deeper things. And uh, when that event happened, that tragedy, it, it certainly kind of rocked my world and my, in, in my Christian faith and caused me to really consider, uh, is God sovereign over all things? And uh, I went through that wrestling match obviously the the from a personal and and just an experiential standpoint it was i didn't like what god was doing i didn't think it was fair i didn't understand and uh god led me to um, some very important books and and truths that helped me to work through that and kind of come out on the other side saying okay god is god he has the right to do whatever he pleases and and that just kind of set the stage for me then for wrestling with God's sovereignty over salvation, God's sovereignty in all things. Uh, once I wrestled with it in, a, in with the issue of, of a tragedy in my own personal life, it, it actually made uh, wrestling with it when it came to salvation or election or predestination, that, that was almost a no-brainer to me once I had wrestled through uh, the difficulties of uh, that, that personal tragedy. So um, it's 
it was something that yeah, I can see how God used for good, but obviously uh, there's still pain and hurt in that, that that never goes away. But we, we want our people to, to wrestle with these things, and we'd love for them to wrestle with those things beforehand, before the tragic tragedies come and the events come, because we know they're coming. And uh, we, that's one of the things I think I uh, work hard at in our church is to prepare our people uh, for the suffering and the tragedies that are going to come that are inevitable so that when they come, their faith isn't rocked and they can walk through that and come out on the other sides with, with uh, being able to say that they, they came forth as gold. And we know that God uses trials for those very purposes, for our good and for his glory. So that, that was a huge, obviously a huge event in my life that uh, has definitely shaped my ministry and where I'm at today. Well, let's, let's fast forward in your life and you received a calling to the First Baptist Church of Holland. And when you got there, tell us a little bit about the context of that area, who you're ministering to, and maybe a little bit of background just of the church. The church itself uh, was started in the late 60s. Uh, and so when I came there, were 35 years in existence, but with a, a founding pastor that pastored for 25 of those years. So very much marked by how he led it and what he believed and how he taught and uh, so there were two pastors from that point until I came and they they didn't last real long which I think uh, part of it was just any change was very difficult for them after what they had uh, the, the same type of ministry for 25 to 30 years so um, when I came there, it was a church very much established in traditions and uh, some legalism. Um, and, and obviously it was something that we knew would take time to, to see that change or turn. And so we really came in, my wife and I, we, I remember having this conversation after the call came that uh, when, we, when we came, we really had no thoughts on what did we want to change as much as we just felt like we have to earn their trust. Uh, this is a church that's, that they too had gone through pain and hurt, um, losing two pastors uh, in the last eight years, one that was led with a strong hand. He, he didn't really see the eldership. I don't think he didn't see it as, a, as an opportunity to serve as much as kind of uh, I get to lead and do what I want to do. And uh, that, that, that hurt the people. And then the, the next pastor was uh, a very short pastorate and, and a lot of moral issues. And, and it was, he was actually one of those individuals that had a very engaging personality. And so people kind of jumped on board quickly and followed him. And then uh, was a, you know, it was a real hurt and a real letdown when they found that he had a lot of hidden sins and things going on in his life. So we knew when we were coming in that these are people that are kind of hesitant to, to trust and uh, they, just, we, they just needed to see good ministry for a long period of time, people that would love them and serve them, that would display a love for God and a love for people. And that's what we've strived to do. And then I think what that allowed us to do is when the time came to, to make changes, people were a little bit more, uh, they, they, were, they were ready to receive that. And uh, they didn't feel like we were just coming in and, and kind of rocking the boat, but they were uh, able to trust and, and know that we had their good and in, in, our intentions were good. We had their best in mind and obviously, most importantly, the glory of God in mind. So um, let's talk a little bit about those early days of what I'll call revitalization or transformation. Um, 
the church um, had experienced, uh, you know, uh, some glory days. They had a school at one point. Mm-hmm. They actually had a very large building facility, uh, gymnasium, and everything. And uh, in those glory days, I mean, I'm sure, like uh, my own church situation, there's a point in time in history everybody points back to and says, "That's when we were great." Mm-hmm. And in your own journey of beginning to transform and change, what were some of those early hurdles that you did face of this old sacred cows that were not easily slain? Yeah, I, I would we, we'd be a lot easier to say what wasn't um, <laughs> there. Almost everything you can think of was, you know, were part of the issues. Our, our music was a major issue. Um, touching that was difficult. Uh, the King James Version, um, just, just all the, the things you can think of were, were a part of kind of how they viewed church, that it's not church if it's not these things. And um, again, I think our desire then was just to be faithful to teach and preach the word to them, to exalt Christ, uh, that if they drew near to him and loved him more, that they would be, uh, I think that some of these things would become clearer and clearer to them without really having to have anyone tell them so much as they would start to see that that's really not what Christianity is about. It's really not what ministry looks like. And um, in a little bit, you know, I quoted the other night Martin Luther where he, when he was asked, how did you do all that you did? And he just said, I didn't do anything. You know, God's word did it all. And I'm not going to put our ministry in that uh, same category where, you know, we, we wouldn't compare what we've done to what Martin Luther did. But uh, but we're really looking back when people say, how did you do what you did? It's kind of like, I, I don't even, I can't really give that answer. We, we've, we've just tried to be faithful and teach and preach. And in so many scenarios I can think of where we kind of knew, and maybe this was even my own weakness, is sometimes I was slow to make a change or slow to uh, confront something that we knew would need to be uh, dealt with. And I started pastoring there at 27, so you can imagine those early years uh, there were some times where I was timid because of my age and uh, looking at men that were twice my age. And, um, and so it wasn't always easy to come in and say, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and what I, what I look back and see over all of that is God's faithfulness, that in many cases, he did it in ways that I didn't have to do anything. Somehow he would remove someone if that's what was necessary. Um, people would just d- move on, and, and, and you know, you never like to see people leave, but sometimes you know that for the health of the church uh, and for what God's doing, that that's probably the only way it's going to happen. And so some just unique scenarios would take place where you just see God's hand was all over that. And, and so and, you know, now it's so much sweeter to us today because of where we're at I think it's sweeter than if we had never gone through any of that because we now look back and remember what it took to get here and how difficult some of that was and, and along the way thinking we're never going to get there and then now being, and not that we've arrived, but being so much closer to what we see as a healthy, God-honoring church, uh, not being man-centered but Christ-centered uh, and the sweetness of coming to worship on a weekly basis and gathering with God's people and and the focus being we want to hear of Christ, we want to see him in all his glory, uh, to share that together, especially with those that have been with us for the long haul, uh, it's just that much sweeter. Now, what role would you say the confessions and catechisms have played in that revitalization, and how are they intertwined in your ministry? Well, the Westminster had a huge part in causing some of those people to leave. 
if we want to go there. <laughs> um, I was, again, very naive. I, I started the, at that church pastoring uh, in 2001, and uh, probably within two years, uh, we began to use the Westminster as a Sunday school curriculum. And when we introduced that, you know, there were men standing out the door saying he's teaching Calvinism, and uh, they were, you know, very upset with what was taking place. And again, I really never looked at Westminster as a Calvinistic thing. Again, I was pretty naive, but uh, just looking at it as it's biblical. This is so good. This is so rich. Our people need to be built up, need to be fed. And so we just launched this and uh, had no idea what kind of uh, chaos and uh, resistance that was going to, to bring. And so we did, I could specifically have people leave over that study and uh, us beginning to, to teach some of those things. And of course, there are, you know, maybe one major thing in the Westminster that we wouldn't agree with. Um, and so we, you know, we, we always taught these things with, let's go back to what the scriptures say. We weren't saying the Westminster is, is now our doctrine, but uh, let's consider these questions and answers in light of what God's word says, and let's wrestle with them. And even when it came to election and predestination, we would, we would kind of teach that as, you know, if, if there were men in our church that uh, in, within the classroom would say, I don't agree with that, we'd say, well, come back next week with, you know, scripture and reasoning for why this isn't right. And of course, uh, they would come back and have reasoning, but no scripture. And, <laughs> and so, uh, so the Westminster had a lot to do with where we kind of turned the tide a little bit, and, uh, but it did cause us to go through some heartache and some pain because people didn't, you know, there's such an emotional response to those things. People were not wanting to necessarily sit down and study the Word. They were wanting to say, this is how I feel. I, I don't like what this makes me think about our God. I have this idea of God. And uh, that began to kind of rock that for them. And, and some couldn't take that and would move on and go to a church that was just like what the church was all those years. But uh, then, you know, at t then we turned to the Heidelberg at, at some point and, and used that, went through a year of each week um, quoting the question and answer as a congregation and, and encouraging our fathers to uh, go over that during the week with their children. And, uh, and so, and even for myself, all those things were helpful because I, again, came to some of those things later, and uh, they've, they've helped shape and and form how I think of the gospel and of God's word. Certainly the Heidelberg, I love the guilt, grace, and gratitude, and I go back to that constantly, that uh, it's such a clear picture of what's going on, that we are all guilty before God because of our sin, uh, and uh, then God's grace is so amazing that he would uh, send his son and that he would take our place and be our substitute and endure our wrath, but yet give us his righteousness. And then as a result of that, that oh, the natural result should be gratitude and um, that if, if this is what God has done for me, then my whole life belongs to him. And so what I would say that those things did for us is they helped shape and form our people with a good understanding of the gospel. And I think it's humbled our people. And I, that's the one thing that I think is, to me is a just stands out that I without saying that we were an arrogant church early on, I don't know that that would be fair to say, but I think sometimes you walk into a church and you kind of sense the, you can feel it, and I think there was a little bit of a pride that we're, we're God's people, we're, we're, we're doing things the right way, and I think, I, I think for years we had people come and go because they felt that, 
And over time, I think now uh, people would come in and say, you know, this is a, this is a, a humble congregation, a people that are uh, down to earth. They, they don't think a whole lot of themselves, but they love Christ and they think very highly of him and they want to make much of him. And uh, that's, as a pastor, that's a sweet, sweet reward, I guess, you know, for all your labors. Not that it's our doing, but boy, we, we rejoice when we see those kinds of that kind of fruit. How did you get your people to wrestle with those with those confessions and creed? I, I'm I'm envisioning these these uh, old deacons standing outside the Sunday school school door, <laughs> uh, warning people before they walk in. But how did you gradually get people to understand that you're not saying that the Westminster replaces Scripture as the final authority, mm-hmm. but that it it teaches what the Bible does? I mean, just kind of walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, it's. It was difficult, and I think we, like I said, I think we, we were probably biting off more than we could chew at that moment, but, uh, and if you know that sometimes in, in certain circles you just throw out the word catechism, and here we go, you know, we've got a fight on our hands, that's, that's a Catholic thing, why are we doing that? And uh, so we really had to teach, uh, and we had to have a people that were willing to, to that were teachable, that were willing to, to sit and listen and consider these things, and uh, and that's why then we did go through, it wasn't a split, but in some ways you kind of felt that way, that there were some that were not willing and, and ready to receive those things, and they would kind of walk out the door. We had a real revolving door there for a while where it just felt like people were coming and going so quickly. And uh, in the last you know five, six years, I would say that a lot of that has stopped, and it's been uh, so much more stable that we feel that for the most part, you know, God has given us now a good core, and uh, we pray that that will just continue to build, and God will add to that. But uh, when, it, when it comes to, we, it was just the hard work of being patient, teaching, um, discipling, and trying to help people, you know, uh, truly adopt these things. And, um, and if they had questions, we tried to make it, we tried to have a culture that wasn't uh, resistant to that, that, you know, we still today, we would have people in our church that would say, you know, I, I don't hold to the same view as you do on election. And uh, we, you know, we don't make that a prerequisite to be a member of our church. We, we want to be gospel people, not necessarily reformed primarily. Uh, we would fought, we, we find ourselves and we make no bones about it that, you know, as a Baptist church, we would line up as a reformed Baptist church. And when we come to those things, that's how I'm going to handle them. That's how I'm going to teach them because I believe that it's it's right. It's it's uh, in line with Scripture, but uh, but we also recognize that we've got people that have been here a long time and they're not. That's not what they were brought up on, and they're still still wrestling with some of that. And we've got people who come in from all kinds of different circles and have uh, never considered these things. And uh, and so of late, we've had some visitors, some young people that have been that have been coming, and I've had lunch with a few of these guys, and they're saying, you know, this is. This is all new to me, and I've never seen it this way. And I'm, and some of them, as young men, are going home. They're still, they're college students, and they've decided to try our church as opposed to where their parents go to church all these years. And uh, so this young man, you know, says, now I'm going home and talking to my mom about the things that I'm hearing at church. And you know, and then now we've got a wrestling match at home. You know, <laughs> mom and dad aren't happy because this isn't what we've taught you. And but, but it's it's exciting to see these young men saying. I don't just want to go where mom and dad go. I want to consider and wrestle with what's truth and what's right. And, uh, and so, you know, you know, you've done a lot of the same kind of work, and it's exciting when you see their eyes opening to that. And you know, 
I, as we already talked about humility, I think that's one of the great benefits of this is that people who are really gripped with the glory of God, really gripped with Reformed theology, uh, one of the natural results of that, and if it isn't, something's wrong, uh, one natural result should be humility, that they, they just are so in awe of who God is and that it's all God and not them, that, that their salvation is, is completely of the Lord, that, uh, that, 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 that has to have a humbling effect. And, uh, and, and again, then along with that, they just are people who are now more, more and more gripped and consumed and caught up with the glory of God. And that is such a good result for a church when that's, when that's where your people are. Amen and amen. I want to uh, just chat a little bit about the camp ministry we've been doing together now for quite a few years, um, bringing mm-hmm. our churches together, sending them around the different Bible themes. Again, this year we discovered the, the book of Hebrews together, Jesus is Greater Than. Uh, I already shared my favorite was uh, Jesus is Greater Than the Old Covenant and just looking at how God's relationship with man through that Old Covenant was God condescending to man in, in a relationship, His creation, but how much sweeter the New Covenant, right? With Jesus right. would condescend to sinful man and mm. the relationship. So it's not that the Old Covenant is bad, it's just the New Covenant is better and mm. wider in scope and uh, just the blessings upon blessings. But um, why do you think things like this summer camp are important and why should guys who are listening say, hey, that's something maybe we should begin to think about at our church? Yeah, I, first of all, I'd like to just, you know, I think it's just to clarify how this all began. This was something that you were doing and uh, we re- reconnected and you invited our church and myself and my, our, my own kids to, to come over and take a look and uh, and to be honest, I was probably a little hesitant because I'm not always the camping type. And probably mostly uh, growing up, I didn't do camp at all. And uh, then uh, my exposure to camp ministry as a youth pastor and uh, even as a senior pastor with our youth going off to camps, uh, it, most of it was negative in that it was very, you know, it was decision oriented. Um, it was kind of just hype them up for a week and then send them home and that kind of dies away and we know there's a danger of that with camp no matter what Uh, but that almost seemed like that they were fine with that 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 was what even it was okay as long as the week went the way they wanted it to go Uh, where you know you want to see lasting fruit you want to see something that has change uh, for all eternity and uh, just in the, and then again, being so decision uh, driven that they're looking to get kids to to come down to an altar, to pray a prayer, to to make some kind of a decision that they can send home that these were the numbers and that kind of thing. And so for us, the experience wasn't real good, and it certainly wasn't in line with where we were going as a church. And so at some point, we just said we need to stop sending our kids to these camps because it doesn't back up what they're seeing weekly. Uh, in our own ministry, and I think it was starting to give them almost a double standard idea of what the gospel is. And so when you invited us, you know, I was probably a little hesitant, but, I, but knowing you and knowing where your church was, that was the first thing that we realized that our ministries were, there was a lot of similar things going on in our ministries. So uh, coming over that first year, now you told me to come and check it out, and then like two weeks later you called me and said, hey, uh, do you think you could teach a couple classes? And I thought, well, I thought I was just coming to check this out. And then I think two weeks later you said, hey, you want to help me write the curriculum? And I thought, oh, this is, this is over. I'm in, you know. But, uh, but I'm really thankful for that. And, man, it's what a blessing for us. We've, that first year was just a couple of my kids and a few other kids, and now I don't know if it's 35, 40 kids that we've had this year. 
And, uh, and so I think just, just that alone says something about what this has done for us as a church and how it's impacted our young people and even families. Uh, I think the close quarters is a huge, huge part of it. You know, you think you could do all these exact same things, um, you know, over a stretch of time, but it's something about that, you know, from Monday, Sunday night to Saturday, uh, just a short stretch of time, but you're together 24-7, um, no sleep, you know, not much food. Um, <laughs> I'm really making people want to come to camp. <laughs> but, uh, but I think it's, and, and what we've really, really appreciated is that, that it is not a light and fluffy type of study. It is come in and, in a sense, you're going to get it. You always say from a fire hose, you know, you're going to really get it. And, um, and, it, and, I, and I appreciate that I think all the, the guys that you have come in and speak and those that are from your own ministry, that there's a passion to, to pass on these great truths. Uh, and not just so that they'll have head knowledge, but that it might stir our affections and we might love God greater as a result. And I think it's done that for our, for our church, for our young people, for me. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the other benefits of partnering together to, uh, it's amazing how our kids long to be here a year later to see, you know, other young people from your church that they haven't seen in a year and maybe not even had any connection with for a year. But, it, but when, they, when they get here, they hit the ground running. And, uh, and I think, you know, the common bond is their, their walk with Christ and their relationship that's in Christ. It's not just anything... Um, it's nothing less than that, you know. There, there may have other common bonds, but that's the thing that that brings them together. Around our church, there's not a lot of that. It's it's hard for us to find something local um, that we can say we can really partner with them because you know there's there's it's few and far between to find churches that that, that take these things seriously. And so it's it's been such a blessing for us. And I would encourage any church. We can't necessarily maybe invite all of them to come join us, but we would tell them, boy, if you can in your own local area do something similar to this and, and partner with a church, um, you know, maybe a couple hours away where you can do this, it's a great thing. It's it's a way in which these churches can bond around the truths of God's Word. I know for us, uh, looking at the covenant kids we have and the responsibility we have to them and trying to make sure that the, the gospel is real, um, and the Word of God is preached. We try mm -hmm. to make sure there's a lot of Bible intake. We break it up throughout the day. We have the morning devotions. You have the classroom where we, we're diving into books of the Bible. We have evening preaching and rallies. But then we have the time where they're actually feet off the floor mm -hmm. and they're memorizing Scripture, memorizing the catechisms, and seeing that repeated year after year. And kids that don't even necessarily come from church homes that are learning those truths and watching those truths stay in them is a real blessing of mine. Mm -hmm. And so I would really encourage any of you who remotely could consider partnering with other churches around uh, the, the truth of God's Word and watching what it can do and the, and the fire it can ignite in, into to youth. One of the other things we do is we try to really use our own people to be the counselors because mm -hmm. then they have those people year-round with them. I think that's an added feature where a lot of camps you go away and mm -hmm. the person who's ministered to you is now out of your life. And so... Those are things that we would definitely encourage you to consider. Um, we're both tired. It's been a long week, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, a, but a blessed week. I don't know if there's anything you want to say here wrapping things up, but it's, uh, it's been a blessing to serve side by side. I thank the Lord for you and for your ministry there and the men you're pouring into and getting to watch uh, guys like Wes and others that um, you've been training up be able to speak. So it's been a great week. Yeah, yeah. I 
feel the same way and I was just very very grateful and as I was saying you know you you kind of invited us into this you didn't have to do that and that was a real blessing to us and uh, it's been a good partnership we would hope that in the future we can even do more that isn't just a yearly thing but uh, but it has it's been a sweet week and a great reminder of how great our God is and how great our Savior is and we pray that uh, that, that all of this has lasting fruit that and, and as you said, your favorite week or your favorite day was on the, 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 the covenants. And, uh, you know, I think kind of tie in together the next day on the tabernacle. And you think of how God did all that he did uh, to, um, to make it possible that we can dwell with him. And just how amazing that thought is that all of this is preparation for what God, what God longs for for us, for us to enjoy in, in knowing him and enjoying him forever. And so in some sense, camp is just like a very small glimpse of what we're all really longing for because we do some things here that it's just, it's almost impossible to do any other time of the year to, to give yourself this much to, to being in the Word together. You know, we, it's hard to gather with uh, others this often during a work week and all of that. And so when, when people pull away and come here, I think they do. They get it. You know, I had a young person yesterday say, I don't want to, you know, I just want to stay right here. And you say, well, okay, we, let's talk that through. And we know that that's not, there's not all good in that. But, but we do have to get that sense of, you know, he, he's saying there's something here that I long for. And we have to remind him that the only real fulfillment of that is going to be when we're in heaven and with Christ and uh, worshiping him together. And then it'll be ceaseless praise and uh, endless delight. And that's what we're longing for. And so I'm thankful for how this kind of always reminds us of that and and just think, you know, we think of how this these are like little reunions for us, but boy, that great reunion is awaiting us and, and how sweet that'll be. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.